for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 116, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, my guest is Debbie Reber. Before we get into our conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about Debbie. She's a parenting activist, a New York Times bestselling author, a podcast host, and speaker who moved a career in a more personal direction in 2016 when she founded Tilt. T-I-L-T Parenting, a top resource for parents like her who are raising differently wired children. Prior to launching Tilt, Debbie spent more than 15 years writing inspiring books for women and teens. In doing so, she built a successful brand as a teen authority, was frequently interviewed and spoke about issues like media literacy, self-esteem, and confidence. Since 1999, Debbie has authored many books, including Doable, The Girl's Guide to Accomplishing Just About Anything, Language of Love, and Chill, Stress-Reducing Techniques for a More Balanced, Peaceful You. Debbie's newest book is Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World, and that's the subject of our show today. Debbie has a master's in media studies from the New School for Social Research and a BA in communications from Penn State University. In December 2018, Debbie and her husband and 15-year-old twice-exceptional son relocated back to New York City after living in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, for five years years. What a life. As always, I will share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, parents, don't just download the episodes, click subscribe because I need you to join my parenting revolution. When you subscribe, every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. And we'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today so you won't miss a single episode. Friends, I am so excited. A gentleman in California created something called the Gab phone, G-A-B-B. Perhaps you've heard me talk about it. The reason I'm excited is this. It's the only smartphone that allows kids to text, call, take photos, use GPS, etc., but not be able to hook up to the internet. Phones are flying off the shelves. And when I heard about this phone, I jumped out of my chair. I'll tell you why. Kids who are younger than 14, even 16, cannot handle having constant access to the internet. Sex abuse, sex trafficking, pornography, bullying are very, very serious problems that I see very frequently in young kids who are on the internet. I really encourage you parents or grandparents, check out the Gab phone. 
You won't have to worry about parental controls because the kids can't get on the internet anyway. And they can't download creepy apps. If you go to gabwireless.com forward slash Meg, that's G-A-B-B wireless.com forward slash Meg, they'll give you a discount and every phone that's sold, they'll donate $10 to defend the innocent. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Debbie Reber. I know you're really going to enjoy this. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, you have a fabulous book, Differently Wired, A Parent's Guide to Raising an Atypical Child with Confidence and Hope. You know, I was intrigued by the title, and intuitively I went, I know who she's talking about, um, because I've seen so many kids over the years. But would you describe what you're talking about as far as an atypical child? Yes, and I really started using this term differently wired because it felt like it captured so much of what it means to be atypical. And so what I'm talking about are kids who may have a formal diagnosis such as ADHD or autism spectrum. They might be gifted. They might have a learning disability like dyslexia or dyscalculia. They might have sensory processing issues. And then there's also kids who may not even have a formal diagnosis, but there is some way about the way that they learn or they think or they process information that makes some aspect of their life more challenging in school or um, just getting through day-to-day life, whether it's anxiety or things like that. Mm-hmm. When you wrote in the book and you talk a lot about your your own journey with your son and um, you talk about those early years when you're just frustrated because you, is this the way everybody's kid acts? Do they all have temper tantrums like this? Do they all, you know, obsess over this? And how old was your son when you finally realized he's different from most kids? I think it was four when we started realizing, okay, we need to get additional information. So we always knew that he was more, I I say he was the more kid, he was more intense, his tantrums were more, he was more verbose, more precocious, you know, so he was just one of those kids that he, he turned a lot of heads for good and bad reasons from a young age. But when he was in, in preschool, and he was four, and that environment was really where things started to shine, to, to show themselves more, the trouble with flexibility or not reading social cues as well, and just getting dysregulated in situations that other kids were, were better able to handle. And someone suggested, I think there might be something going on here that you'd like to get some more information. But it, it took us years to really kind of understand who he was because they're, they're so little, it's hard to, to know what's mm-hmm. really happening. Yeah. Um, And you took him uh, early on to a lot of different professionals and he was diagnosed. He had several diagnoses. What were they? So his initial diagnosis was sensory processing disorder. And then a year later, we got provisional diagnoses of pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, Mm -hmm. and a provisional ADHD disorder. We also Mm -hmm. had him had an IQ test and found he was profoundly gifted. So that's kind of the soup of labels that we played with for a few years. And then we did additional testing Uh, a couple years later, got ADHD autism spectrum. 
And then we've tested again and, and, and found that he didn't meet the criteria for autism, but still the ADHD. So mm-hmm. he's a complicated, complicated human. And uh, those labels have been helpful for context and to help us figure out kind of plans to support him. But ultimately, they didn't provide answers. Yeah. So it's, it's not as if you, you wanted a label or a diagnosis. But I think you need to know a diagnosis so that you know what you're dealing with and limitations so that you can live in reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the biggest struggle for a lot of parents. So until he got those diagnoses, or let, we'll, we'll just go through his early elementary school years. Mm-hmm. What kind of issues came up over and over and over that uh, were a struggle for you and his teachers? The biggest thing was the intensity and the inability to emotionally regulate in situations that were unpredictable or if demands were placed on him or the kinds of things that happen in school, you know, the expectations and uh, not being able to do what you want to do or having to transition when you're really in the middle of something. Mm -hmm. And because he didn't have those skills to regulate there would be explosions and so that was that was the hardest thing in in a classroom setting certainly and we saw the same behaviors at home was just a lot of really big uh explosive behavior probably things that would be brewing all day and then they would release in a really big way Mm -hmm. and and so as teachers it was tricky because they've got a classroom to manage Mm -hmm. and as parents first-time parents we just felt like we weren't equipped to know how to help this child. Did, was there any point where you thought, you know, I'm just a bad parent because most other parents' kids aren't acting this way? A hundred percent. It's hard, yeah. It's so hard. And, you know, I was reading all the same books or I would be getting advice from friends who were using this or that parenting philosophy successfully. And I was like, but I'm reading those same books and they're not working. They're yeah. not working. So yeah, there was a lot of beating myself up, my husband and I feeling, you know, what are we doing wrong? And it's confusing because you get different feedback from pediatricians and teachers. So you really just don't know where to turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, you write in your book that one of your biggest conflicts was trying to figure out is this what my life should be as a mom and because I think I I think as mothers we all compare ourselves to other mothers and at some point you go this isn't how it's supposed to be this is you know this isn't how my life as a mom should be when did you start to reconcile you know it's really not about me this is a situation that he didn't bring on. This is who my son is. And so you really just started to relax and accept it and realize I'm a really good mom. I can't take this personally. Was there a turning point for you there? Yeah, and we had an unusual situation and that our family relocated and moved abroad because of my husband's work and because we had run through a few schools and hadn't found a successful mm-hmm. fit. And so I started homeschooling Asher in third grade. And it was over the course of that year, which was a very challenging year for me personally. And I had to confront a lot of my own control issues and what you were talking about, my own vision for what this should look like, not matching with reality. Mm -hmm. And I started to just see him 
for who he was and, and have a deeper understanding of why he, he hadn't been successful in the past. It was because he had needs that were not being met, plain and simple. And so I just started to flip it around and start focusing on myself and, and recognizing that he's actually exactly who he is supposed to be. He's not broken. There's nothing wrong with him. And he deserves someone to kind of see him for who he is. And so I kind of started doing this work on myself. Takes a lot of guts, Debbie. It takes a lot of guts. And and I applaud you because I feel like I've met him. I've just seen so many thousands of kids. And I look at him, I scratch my head. And I think, I, I don't know what to tell you, mom, to help you here because all the regular stuff doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, and you're spending a lot of time in the principal's office, as you say, babysitters are walking out on you mm-hmm. and, and your friends may be telling you, why don't you just spank that kid? That's what he needs, you know, just, and you're going, no, 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 no. This is so far off from, from what you think it is. Um, so what, so how long did you homeschool him? Six years, yeah, which is years. shocking to me, but yeah, six years. Yeah. <laughs> so as he got older, you said there were some needs he had that weren't being met. What were those needs? Well, I think he, in a traditional school environment, wasn't able to learn the way he learned. So he is a deep diver. He is a kid who can completely immerse himself and lose himself in really interesting projects. And so even just being able to say, I can see you're really into this right now. Why don't you keep going with that? See where mm-hmm. it goes. And, and I would challenge myself to find ways to, to teach executive functioning skills or, or other skills around his areas of interest. So just not having to transition on these arbitrary timelines, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking of timelines, that was another thing, right? We have these expectations for these markers that kids should be doing at these certain mm-hmm. ages and to take that pressure off yeah. and say, actually, all kids develop asynchronously and you're way here, you know, when you're reading at this level and you're doing all these cool things and tying your shoes, that'll come like, that's not a priority right now or handwriting. We'll work on that. So just not feeling perpetually like he wasn't good enough or, Mm -hmm. um, or that he was always screwing up, which is the Mm -hmm. message that he got in school. You really write a profound statement in there, which boy, I, I, I totally get is that, you know, kids who are differently wired are constantly, um, they're constantly apologizing, not for what they did, but for who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think they live with a lot of shame because, you know, you can see these things happening in your son, but your son knows he's different. And he knows that people are telling him, you should do this. Why can't you just stop your temper tantrum? Or why can't you this? And he feels probably broken. Did, did he ever feel like I'm broken? I'm a broken kid? He definitely felt like he was a bad kid. He identified that way mm-hmm. for sure. And, and it took a number of years actually for him to stop apologizing for mm-hmm. things that didn't warrant an apology at all. And, and it took a while for, I would say years also for him to really recognize all the strengths that he has and also 
be okay with these areas of weakness and not think that they're a statement on who he is or that there's something wrong with him, but that actually all humans have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, but it is really hard if you're getting that message over and over again, or you're having to apologize, or you're being shamed by a teacher or a camp counselor or other kids. Mm-hmm. That that takes a while to kind of deprogram. Did he develop any significant friendships? How was he socially? Yeah, you know, it's so sweet. He, in that preschool I mentioned in the very beginning, he befriended a student in the year ahead, and they're still best friends. They have the deepest relationship. This We're in New York now as friends still in Seattle, and they Skype weekly for hours. Mm. And um, it's so beautiful. So he, he actually is a, is a great friend. And he's, he has a, a good friend um, that we met when we were living abroad as well. Can he meet new friends? Yes, absolutely. He's very open. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why we moved back to to the US from our time abroad was to provide opportunities for more social engagement. And so, um, so fencing has been a really good opportunity. He's back in school this year. And so he's slowly made some connections there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's, he does really well with kids, one on one kids who and he's curious about other kids and he has a lot to offer and he knows that. Wonderful. How, I'm just curious, is he um, aware of his surroundings or does he sort of live in his own head? I, I've seen kids who who, who really um, feel disconnected from what's happening all around him and they miss it somehow. Was, was he that way or no? I think he was more when he was younger, definitely mm-hmm. more um and I, my husband would say he was this way too, was that kid who spaced out a lot and was mm-hmm. just very internal. The and kind of nerd, nerdy professor? For sure. I live yeah. with two of them, young and old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Comes by it honestly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But yeah. no, he actually, one of the really cool things about the transformation that we had and, and you know, the way that we've created a connection is that he has gotten out of fight or flight mode, right? Which is what he was perpetually in as a lot of these kids are. They're defensive, they're shut down. And so they're not open to the world and what's happening around them. And over time and opening up, he has become completely, he's a very empathetic person. He's Mm -hmm. super tuned in. He's still very cerebral and will still read philosophy late night Mm -hmm. in his bedroom and wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning and tell me this or that theory. But he's also very... He watches current events. He He's very tuned into what's happening around him, too. So do you think that you and the help of other professionals as he's gotten older have been, um, I mean, it's important to accept, obviously, who he is. But have you been able to build on his strengths so that he can function better as an adult? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I really encourage parents to look at their kids through that strength-based lens because they do, every child, no matter mm-hmm. how they're wired, they they have such unique strengths. And we know that that's where the opportunity exists for them to, to thrive, to create careers, to, you know, to kind of build a, a life that's fulfilling to them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, that I saw that as my, my job and we've, 
been lucky in finding really good mentors to support him in his personal interests is to really help him understand not just what his strengths are, but who he is. Mm -hmm. Like, this is who I am. This is what I need. This is how I think. This is where I need to ask for help. And here's how I can ask for help. So I think that has been my job is to try to foster that self-awareness. And I think that's the best thing we can do for these kids. You know, I think that's huge because there are adults I see walking around who are probably very much like your son, but really never had that kind of help. And so they're walking around feeling that they can't do this and they can't do that. They feel their limitations a lot more than they feel their strengths. And sometimes it's hard for them to to identify their strengths because they live with feeling weak all the time. And I was just kind of wondering, you know, if, if they can be helped. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Debbie Reber. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Talk to me about, um, we have an idea of what you did about how professionals helped you with any kind of behavior modifications. And then talk about medication. Was he ever on medication? We have never used medication. Um, it had, you know, he knows that it's available for ADHD and we've discussed it and um, I bring it up periodically yeah. uh, when he finds himself getting frustrated with uh, distraction, but he, he really wants to try to find other ways and I support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we've had periodic uh, support along the way. So sometimes it'll be a social skills group, right? Which can be really helpful and just kind of better understanding how to be with other people and what a relationship give and take looks like. Um, That's been really helpful. Um, We've over the years had different therapies that have focused on executive functioning, which most differently wired kids struggle with. Um, Have they been pretty helpful? Yes. Although I will say that I think, you know, when, when a parent finds out their child's differently wired, the instinct is to lump on all of the support right away. And then there's right. often frustration that this is taking too long. I'm not seeing change. And these are the kind of things that it's planting seeds and it's work that we continue to do over time that especially with these kids, there's no flipping a switch. Um, it it happens over time with consistency and with the parents playing that role of a coach as well and and helping to bridge the therapy with what's happening at home. Do you think as he moves into his 20s, will he still have to have some help in coaching? Or do you think that by that time, he'll know how to um, navigate different situations or Um, transition better or when he feels overwhelmed with emotion how to handle it or do you think he'll pretty much be there by the time he's in his 20s I think so I mean what has happened even in teenhood has been tremendous and um, which is why he's back in school he's really just thriving in so many ways and the growth we're seeing is incredible so he's got big plans like Mm -hmm big plans for university <laughs> and beyond. And I feel yeah. really confident that he's going to be able to make them happen for himself. There, if he yeah. wants to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are the people who, you know, change the world. These are the the rockers and the shakers and the leaders. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they make, they make the biggest impact. And yet, you know, they, they kind of pay a price. Let's talk about you and how you went through that. You say in your book, it was very important for you to connect with other parents and to kind of find a support group. How did you find those women? Well, 
I mean, partially I, I created <laughs> Tilt Parenting to create the community that I needed. I think that feeling alone was probably the biggest mm-hmm. struggle for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's when parents find this out, they often do feel like nobody, no one else gets what they are going through. Um, so for me, you know, I, I did have a, a close network of friends that I kind of led in and they were very supportive and helping me vent and giving me letting me cry or just show up at their house when I need to get out of my house um, mm-hmm. on a bad day. But um, one of the reasons why I created Tilt was because I don't want other parents to feel that they're alone because we're everywhere. They're, yeah, you are. They're everywhere, you or, are. You know, mm-hmm. like our kids. So there's no reason for a parent to feel ashamed or embarrassed or um, worried um, mm-hmm. about talking about what's going on because we're not in this alone. And yeah. so, uh, so I feel like that's happening. People are starting to be more open and better able to find each other. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's very, very important because if you are alone or only around people with kids who are not wired differently, um, there's going to be some tension. You're going to want to kind of hide what's mm-hmm. happening. You you might be a little bit embarrassed. But I wanted to just sort of stress how proactive you were. Tell us what Tilt is. So Tilt Parenting is a community that I launched just over four years ago because I realized a that I'm not alone and parents like me were everywhere and it's so difficult to know how to navigate a path and that's not okay you know it's overwhelming to think about schooling and support and insurance and then feeling alone at the same time while dealing with difficult behavior and so I created Tilt to help parents say listen you're actually in a really awesome club here. Welcome to the club. We've got you. We know what you're going through. And and to provide really just tangible strategies and resources and access to people that can help their family. So I, I, this is what I've done my whole life. I create the resources that I needed that didn't exist when I needed them. And that's mm-hmm. what I've done. Through so, so you have a PhD in creation. I guess yeah, so. Just, I don't know. So, I yeah. just can't stop myself. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you know, kind of alluded to the fact that your husband's a little differently wired as well. Mm-hmm. Was he able to help? I mean, was he able to have the insight into what's happening to your son? Or was it easier for you because you had a very different personality than they do? I think it was actually, there was a lot of, oh, I was like that when I was a kid. I turned out fine, right? Yeah. Oh, from, yeah. From yeah. him yeah. and from his parents as well. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I think that initially created a little bit of tension because mm-hmm. I was the one in the trenches. And I'm like, okay, but this is not fine. We need to, we need support. We need more information. Um, but it's actually been really great. They're super close. They work on all kinds of creative projects together. And I used to have to mediate a lot because they're very yeah. similar. There was a lot yeah. of headbutting, but they really understand each other now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they have a lovely relationship and, and, and because they're so similar, it, it has been helpful to get some insights during difficult times to talk with my husband. Like, what were you when you were going through this? What was it like for you? And what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Well, and in some way, your husband might be a little jealous of your son because he probably didn't get the help when he was a teenager that your son's getting. Was that a, probably ever an issue or no? Yeah, it's, it's possible. I mean, 
we were both kids of the eighties. So, uh, yeah. I don't think any, many kids of the eighties got much attention. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We certainly parent different than we were parented for sure. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. It, it, you know, every generation seems like, you know, they were parented very differently. Um, so I just wanted to um, turn the corner a little bit. So with the parents who are in TILT, is it a national program? So can anybody from Seattle to Omaha um, join TILT and get some support there? Yeah. So I have a podcast, the TILT podcast, which I've got over 200 episodes and that's available. And awesome. you can source by ADHD, homeschooling by theme and find episodes that'll be relevant. And then actually, because it's a podcast, my much like your listeners, it's global. And so yeah. um, there is a Facebook group that I've started called Tilt Together. And that mm-hmm. is really where people are connecting with each other all over the world. You know, New Zealand, I need an OT. And then people mm-hmm. will say, oh, I'm in Auckland. Here's a few suggestions. And so it's a really collaborative, lovely, generous group of parents who are connecting through the Facebook group. But I have tons of resources on Tilt Parenting as well that are free. Wonderful. Wonderful. So if you could look back your son's 15 now and sort of pick the three most important things that helped you or people that helped you I'm thinking of a a mom who has maybe a five-year-old and she's seeing a lot of signs that maybe you saw or really struggling with a child who's obstinate or exploding or having temper tantrums or who can't concentrate. Um, And so she's kind of wondering, gee whiz, could this be my child? Mm -hmm. What are the three most important things you would tell her to do to get her on the right path? Well, I would say, first of all, to trust her instinct, because it can be hard to know. Is this something, and again, sometimes you get mixed messages from a pediatrician, depending on whether or not the child had a good day when they went in for their appointment. So if you think there is something going on to trust your instinct, that would be number one. Amen. Uh, I tell mothers that all the time. Yeah. We know. We know. If if there's something, if a mother walks into my exam room and says, something's wrong with my child, uh, my job is to figure out what that something is before they leave the appointment, you know, because mothers, I mean, I'm a mom of four kids, you know, you just know. So, okay. So trust your instincts. And then what? Then I would say, reach out, try to find a mentor, someone who, you know, has a child who may be differently wired. It doesn't have to be, it could be any kind of neuro difference, but someone, you know, has gone through a journey with their child. Mm -hmm. That might be someone you find on the tilt together page too. And just reach out and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Where do I go? Who do I talk to? Because um, it can be hard to decide where you get that support right. or that evaluation or that assessment. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third thing I would just say is to not panic because I think we instantly go to a place of fear and, mm-hmm. you know, we can have our four-year-old, we can have their whole future written in our mind and mm-hmm. think that, you know, all these plans we had for them are not possible. And, we have no idea what the potential for these kids right. are and they're not broken. They're who they are supposed to be. So mm-hmm. don't panic and kind of don't fight what's going on and instead get really curious about, okay, who is this kid? 
Mm-hmm. Move slow, be curious, and and take it one one thing at a time. And I love what you said about, you know, don't take on, how was the term? I don't know, don't dump too much stuff on it first or, you know, don't, um, you know, start with OTPT, psychiatrist, psychologist, because it's overwhelming. And it, I would think it would make you panic even a little bit more because you're waiting for something to change really fast. It doesn't change fast. Yeah, I mean, so, we have to try on the long the long game here and mm-hmm. there's so much time so we need to manage our energy right so we're not getting ourselves burned out by running them around like crazy you know right. to different appointments and also making them feel like oh my gosh something must be really wrong with me if I'm doing all of these things right now right right um so was your son able to participate in a lot of the things that other kids did soccer basketball chess club things like that yeah he he was in soccer when he was younger um and cross country soccer there was a lot of standing on the field and kind of doing his own thing um and uh but he he participated in many camps certain things that were game oriented games were really difficult and could be really dysregulating so um so we tended to avoid uh things that might get him dysregulated but for the most part He's with very careful selection and some prep with Mm -hmm. the counselors or organizations. He's been able to participate in a lot of those things. So what does the future hold for your son? Well, as I said, he really has very big plans and, um, He's got his eye. We, we were actually supposed to visit some universities before the whole country shut down. Um, oh, wow. So he's very interested in engineering. And, he, and, he's, and he's in ninth grade. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of keeping his eye on, on, uh, yeah. on what he wants to do. So, yeah, aerospace engineering is his field he wants to go into. And mm-hmm. I think it's totally possible. And I'm super curious. And the joke around here among my sister and uh, my husband and I is that we look forward to him having like a little house on his estate where we can grow old and he can take care of us. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it, it's got a switch, you know, that, yes. okay, I've done my part now. We switch it over and it's, and it's your turn. Um, I mean, that's, that's so exciting. And uh, just in final thoughts, as, as kids get older, is, do they have any difficulty? What are the biggest challenges that you think young men and women who are differently wired will have as they get older? Can you say or no? I think one of the hardest things is the the launch and the expectations. Mm -hmm. And um, what I've heard anecdotally and talked with a lot of people about is that for kids who do move on to college, a lot of them, even if they've had accommodations in high school for testing or more time or whatever for their learning disability, they don't want that anymore. They don't want to be different or they don't want to advocate for themselves. And a lot of them struggle with that first year of college because they they don't want to be different and then it ends up they end up not getting the support they need so that's i feel like a lot of our work with high school students is to really help them own who they are and know how to ask for what they need difficulty with jobs are there any special issues they may have with certain jobs um because I know people with ADD can, you know, it, it can be a struggle for them because mm-hmm. they'll get so intense on one thing and they forget to do other kinds of things. Um, or, do, or do they kind of outgrow that? Yeah, I think 
some things they can outgrow or they can just kind of learn skills to to manage um, things that could be challenging for them. I think it's important for, again, for people to choose careers where they can be in their zone of competency and be okay for who they are. And of course, we know that there are a lot of companies like Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and some big companies that are actually recruiting people on the spectrum to work for them because of the attention to detail and the skills that they bring to certain tasks. And so I do see a big shift coming in terms of neurodivergence being better understood and better supported in workplaces. Yeah, wonderful. I, I'm so glad, you know, we talked about that because that's one of the things I've seen as kids get older and they move into their 20s. And, you know, if they haven't been trained and they haven't been um, supported well enough, sometimes they'll go into jobs and it's it's like, a you know, they hit a brick wall and go what is happening you know life is suddenly very different the book is differently wired and the author is debbie reaver and this has just been a fabulous fabulous interview and i've learned so much from you um you're the founder of tilt parenting so how can people connect with you learn more about the work that you do well, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm a fan, and so I was very excited oh. <laughs> to be invited. Well, it goes, it goes both ways. I read your book, and I thought, I got to get her on here. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so. so, yeah, Tilt Parenting is kind of my my home. So you can email me through there, or you can connect with me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, all at Tilt Parenting, and I'm fairly responsive. Yeah, I'm pretty responsive. <laughs> yeah. Not as fast I as I could be, but yeah. yeah. I bet bet you're a busy gal. And I really want to encourage parents out there to do what Debbie said. Trust your gut. If you think that something's a little off with your son or daughter, you know, don't just wait. Be proactive. Figure it out. Don't, Don't feel that if you dig and try to find what's there you're going to be um, betraying your child or making things happen because I think sometimes we do that but I so I would strongly encourage parents to, to, to go to tilt and to try to figure out if there's something you can do for your child so um, I'm gonna sure send parents there I can think of people right off the top of my head that I'm gonna send to tilt so Debbie thank you so much thank you this is a great conversation Now onto my points to ponder. One, expect possibility, not limitation. You know, one of the most common mistakes parents of children who are unlike their peers make is that they limit the child's abilities. They limit their expectations of the child. They quickly think of the things that the child can't do instead of what he can do. As you learn about who your child really is, focus on his or her possibilities. This will not only give him confidence, but it will improve your relationship with him because he learns that you believe in him. Two, be okay with parenting him differently. Parents try hard to treat each of their kids fairly, and I get this. They often think that this means parenting them the same way, but the truth is we don't do this, not because we're bad parents, but because every child's needs are different. With a child who's wired differently from many kids, this is especially true. You must accept that how you parent him will be dramatically different from how you parent your other kids or how outside kids are parenting. And that's a good thing. Three, get support. 
One of the toughest issues parents face is feeling inadequate and worrying that they're doing something wrong. The best thing they can do for themselves and their child is to find another person with a similar child and ask for help. Many parents with the same struggles can offer great tips, particularly if they're older than you are, since parenting a child who is different from others offers emotional and physical stresses. Find someone you can turn to for emotional support. Parents, while I'm not going to be able to answer parenting questions on my podcast anymore, what I am going to do is answer your questions in podcasts devoted just to answering your questions. You know I love answering them, so please keep sending your questions into me. No question is off limits. Email me your parenting questions to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. And while I'm at giving you addresses, I'm going to give you the Gab phone address one more time, gabwireless.com forward slash Meg. I want to thank my guest, Debbie Reber, for joining me on the show today. To find out more about Debbie, go to Debbie Reber, D-E-B-B-I-E-R-E-B-E-R.com. That's DebbieReber.com. Be sure to follow Debbie on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. And I strongly recommend that you read her brand new book, Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. So let's recap my points to ponder. One, expect possibility, not limitation. Two, be okay with parenting him differently. And three, get support. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening, and because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at MegMeekerMD, and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents, subscribe so you won't miss anything, and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.